Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Good morning to you, Sherry Kennedy Brownrigg, in for Teresa Tamio, who is on pilgrimage. Enjoying it, you can follow along on her Facebook page. She has lots of wonderful posts there, and also on um, on her website somewhat, too. Coming up on the show today, uh, Jerry Usher joins us, and you know Jerry. He is the co-host of uh, Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. He's going to be talking about his late vocation yes the second time <laughs> second time that he has uh, been looking at this vocation and has finally decided yes i'm going to do it and we'll also talk about the legacy of father stew and that is wonderful if you remember that movie we'll talk about a new book that is coming out uh, from someone who knew father stew very very well well, there's a lot going on today. It's the Feast of St. Paul of the Cross. He's the founder of the Passionists. And Teresa has a little um, note about him and the feast day today on her Facebook page if you want to follow along there. Really great saint and not as well known as some of the others, but really one to read about if you get the opportunity today. Looking at the news, um, you may have heard this, but there are some nurses in Colorado who are suing the state of Colorado. And they have a wonderful ministry called Bella Health. They want to be able to continue this ministry. What it does, it helps reverse chemical abortions. But the state of Colorado has deemed that these are actually, there's a, there's a whole, I guess, classification that they say unprofessional conduct. So legislators in Colorado passed a law earlier this year that, a made, that made abortion reversal unprofessional conduct and what this does is it effectively outlaws it in Colorado and subjects providers to professional discipline think about that unprofessional conduct so what these wonderful nurses say and there's even a mother and daughter that are there together which I just absolutely love that they say that this particular thing that they're doing is well for women who come to seek their help so Colorado is forcing them to basically turn away women who are seeking medical help. That's the law. Now, we know exactly what this is. You know, it's just another one of Satan's pro-abortion works. But there have been a number of women that they have helped throughout the years that Bella Health has been around. And they say that they're they're really, when peop- when women come to them, They've had this aha moment, whether it's from God or something else, by what have I done? And they want to be able to take progesterone, which reverses the effects of the two pills that cause a chemical abortion. And they have helped so many women and these babies to actually go ahead and have healthy births and healthy children. In fact, if you Google this, you'll find out that there have been a number of studies that it is effective 64, between 64 and 68% of the time abortion reversal is effective and that there are no side effects to the child. Yet you will also see, if you Google this issue, lots of articles from pro-abortion groups that say, 
oh, you know, the studies don't back up the effectiveness and and it's really not um, it's not a procedure that is going to work and that pro-life groups are misleading women by saying that they can reverse this. But when you have a success rate of between 64 and 68 percent of the time, who's misleading who here? Really? I mean, this is just beyond the pale. And you really need to take this to prayer. And we're, we're watching this case because this is the second time that Bella Health has been in front of the Supreme Court in Colorado to reverse this. And they didn't win the first time, but the Beckett Fund is helping them. And hopefully this will be a win for them. It's so important that they do win. In other news, of course, we're all following the issue in Israel and the Gaza Strip, so much happening there. Right now, it has been reported that Israeli troops are building on the border of Gaza in preparation for their land assault into Gaza. And also, there's a Catholic church that is in Gaza. It's the only one in Gaza. Of two million people, there's one Catholic church. Of course, there are many Palestinian Christians throughout the Holy Land, but in particular in this area, only one Catholic church. But there are 500 people who are taking refuge in this Catholic church, and they are working so hard, the churches, to help feed all these wonderful people who are in harm's way, who have no connection with Hamas whatsoever. And it's very, very important that um, we remember that. But there are so many refugees that are coming to the church because it has been a place of sanctuary and of help for so many years. And they have some supplies right now, but of course they are running out as well. And they are in the north of Gaza, so they will definitely be in harm's way once Israel begins their um, their assault in that area. Looking for Hamas, of course, that's what Israel is doing, but some many times it's it's hard to tell. So hard to tell, and so many people who are Palestinian Christians are in the way of, well, the potential death and, yes, lots of lots of slaughter there. So, you know, it just is something that we absolutely need to pray for because there are so many things happening. There is no... There is no side to take here. It's very hard. We know that this, that Hamas, this is the side to take. We know that Hamas and their assault is wrong. We absolutely know that. And it was evil and very much ISIS-like. And Israel has the right to retaliate. But we pray for all those. That's where that innocent life comes in, where there is no side to take. That we pray for all those who are in harm's way. Now, Pope Francis has called for a day of prayer and fasting for peace in the Middle East. That comes up on October 27th. Of course, we had one from the Latin Patriarch in Jerusalem um, on Tuesday. And hopefully you had the opportunity this past Tuesday to pray and fast. But let's do it again on October 27th. So, so very important that we continue to pray and fast for this entire situation. Because again, so many people are in harm's way and we need to pray for them. All right, it is coming up on 8 past the hour and it's time for news. President Biden gave a primetime speech from the Oval Office last night to ask Americans to support Israel and Ukraine. Biden said support for the two nations is key to national security and argued that both the Palestinian militant group Hamas and Russian leader Vladimir Putin want to annihilate a neighboring democracy. 
Biden added that there is no higher priority than getting the hostages held by Hamas back home. The president plans to send a funding request to Congress today of $100 billion in combined aid for Israel and Ukraine. Over 400 Muslim and Jewish congressional staffers are calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Michael Kastner with more. The Capitol Hill employee signed a letter Thursday urging Congress to back a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas as anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim and anti-Palestinian sentiment are all on the rise nationwide. The letter says the voices calling for de-escalation and peace have been drowned out by those beating the drums of war. I'm Michael Kastner. Israel's defense ministry is telling residents in a town near the border with Lebanon to evacuate. The evacuation order was approved today by Israel's defense minister over fears the war against the Palestinian militant group Hamas could turn into a wider regional conflict. Since the start of the conflict, shelling has intensified between Israel and Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. The U.S., Canada, the U.K., Germany, and Saudi Arabia have all called on their citizens to leave Lebanon. The head of the Federal Reserve says inflation is still too high and lower economic growth is probably needed to bring it down. Mark Mayfield fills us in. Speaking at the Economic Club of New York, Jerome Powell said the slowing of prices was not enough to determine a trend. Powell said it's unclear how long these lower readings will persist or where inflation will settle in the coming months. He hinted at a need for the labor market and economic growth to slow to achieve the Fed's goal of reaching 2% inflation. I'm Mark Mayfield. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders is banning gender-neutral gender neutral rather language in state documents. That means terms like pregnant person and chest-feeding will be replaced with pregnant woman and breastfeeding. The Republican governor signed an executive order Thursday arguing that the left says Arkansas should just lay down and accept the cultural revolution without complaint. It's the latest in a series of orders and bills in Arkansas aimed at language and issues like restroom use and pronouns. The well-over-month-long United Auto Workers strike rolls on as Ford Motor Company announces more layoffs. Trey Thomas reports. The automaker says an additional 150 workers have been temporarily laid off. There has been little reported progress in negotiations with the big three automakers. Supplies of some of the most popular vehicle models are starting to shrink. Changes are being made at the Pueblo County Clerk and Recorder's Office for the 2023 November election. We are operating on transparency. We're following all of the laws, and we just want to run a not good, fair election so your voices can be heard. Clerk and Recorder Candace Rivera said her office has doubled the amount of ballot boxes in Pueblo from four to eight. There are also two new machines for ballot tabulating that will make counting election results quicker. Another upgrade is the office's election website. They've made it more user-friendly and compatible with cell phones. Cameras have also been added to the office and activity will be monitored on election night and can also be live streamed. Election ballots were sent out on October 16th. There's a new law now in effect to further strengthen mental health support on college campuses throughout New Jersey. Rates of anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation on college campuses are at an all-time high. 
Acting Governor Tahisha Way signed legislation that requires those who are trained in mental health to annually train their faculty and staff on how to recognize signs of depression in students and signs associated with student suicide. Resident assistants must also now receive annual training on signs and risk factors for depression and suicide and how to refer students to campus mental health resources. The bill also requires colleges to establish a mental health response plan to students experiencing a mental health crisis. Forecasters say a nor'easter could bring possible flooding problems to New England this weekend. The National Weather Service in Boston is tracking a, coast, a coastal low-pressure system that is moving from the mid-Atlantic. Widespread rain and isolated thunder is expected Friday night into Saturday, and forecasters say snow may even fall in some places in New England for the first time this season. And today is Chicken and Waffles Day. Free tennis with everything you need to know. An American dish created by the Pennsylvania Dutch in the 1600s and made better with a touch of southern soul. There's nothing good for you in it. It's carbs, sugar, deep-fried chicken. TasteWise Food Trend Agency says we're eating about 34% less chicken and waffles this year. But today, we should strive for more. I'm Bree Tennis. <laughs> Chicken and Waffles Day. Who knew? But now that you know, all right, here's to our chicken and waffles. I certainly plan to celebrate that way. Well, I'm Sherry Kennedy Brownrick. Coming up next, Jerry Usher joins us. Take two with Jerry and Debbie. He has been the host of that for many, many years. And now he is on his way to the priesthood. We're going to hear the story next on Catholic Connection. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I went to Las Vegas years and years ago for one of these cable shows. And, and I was uh, shocked to see all these old ladies in their 70s and 80s getting off that plane, running for a slot machine. You don't have a chance to win. They're all fixed. I know, my uncle used to have slot machines. <laughs> EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. You and your spouse are invited to cruise with Royal Caribbean this January, along with Father Michael Schmitz, Archbishop Nauman, Al, Teresa, Dr. Ray, and many others. Get away with your spouse on a fun, relaxing, and rejuvenating cruise with inspiring speakers, daily mass, and endless memorable experiences. Father Michael Schmitz comments, you'll encounter an amazing community of couples and speakers, and most importantly, you'll encounter Christ. More details at AveMariaRadio.net. Just click the travel link. Father Benedict Groeschel. In the church, we speak 
of seven gifts, wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, loyalty, courage, and reverence or fear of the Lord. When I speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and these gifts come, they give you the ability to go beyond your strength. If you're struggling to be a good person, a good member of your religion, you know it's a struggle and you don't always make it. I've been at it many, many decades and I still struggle and trip and fall and have holes in my socks. Struggling to be a good person, something that we need help at. And this help comes to us by these gifts of the Holy Spirit. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Welcome back to Catholic Connection. Sherry Kennedy Brownrig in for Teresa Tamio, who is on pilgrimage in Italy. And if you want to follow it, well, follow her social media. She's got some wonderful pictures there, all sorts of wonderful things that are happening there and their exploits. I love to read about them. For example, yesterday they were in Tuscany and had an amazing wine and olive oil tasting for the women in the New Evangelization Pilgrimage. It's what they call their Wine and Shrine Pilgrimage. So much fun. And they hold these, I think, maybe once or twice a year. So if you're interested in that, you can find out more. And um, you can do that by going to the Women in New Evangelization website or just following Teresa on her social media. It's so wonderful. And I've always wanted to go on one of those with her, but um, have not been able to. She goes with Kelly Walquist. Both are good friends of ours. Well, I promised that we would be talking with Jerry Usher, and we will do that in just a minute. And uh, just still trying to get him on the phone, but uh, you know how, how that goes, live radio. So we'll talk about some other things. You know, I actually have known Jerry for a really long time. And we've been friends, I would have to say, for about maybe 15 to 20 years. And there's so much, so many great stories that I have about Jerry. Had the opportunity to work with him a number of times. You know him as the co-host of EWTN's radio's daily Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. And that's Debbie Giorgiani is his uh, partner on the show. And, oh, Andrew says we have Jerry with us. So, hey, Jerry, welcome to the program. Hey, Thanks, Jerry. How you doing? You are really lucky because I was about to tell stories about you, about working with you. So you <laughs> came on the air just in time, my friend. <laughs> Boy, I, I'm sweating bullets just thinking of that. Well, they were all good, but lots of fun. Lots yeah. of fun. We shared a lot of faith-filled times and and um, a lot of hard work for the Lord, so that's fun. But this is exciting because right now you are actually on your way to the priesthood. And we'll start with this, that it's not necessarily the first time, but you got this call um, a number of years after that initial call. And one of my favorite stories is that your initial call when you were looking at different dioceses in which you thought maybe, you know, I'll pursue the priesthood here. You came to the diocese that I live in, which is Omaha, and my brother, who is now a priest, was a seminarian then, and he was in charge of taking you around and showing you all sorts of different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think you and I, we hadn't even met at that point, I don't think. 
Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's been on my mind, on my heart over the years. Um, I was uh, six years in formation from 1989 to 95 in Portland, Oregon. And that included my undergraduate three years at Franciscan University, two years in the what they call the major seminary, and a sixth year was a pastoral year, an internship in a parish. And I did a summer of language immersion in Mexico and a summer of hospital internship. They call it clinical pastoral education. And so I had about 75% of my, or, or more, about 75% of my formation done. Um, at that time, I would have been a transitional deacon in about nine months, and a year, a year after that, I would have been a priest. And I just uh, discerned with my spiritual director in the, in the diocese, archdiocese, you know, maybe I should take a year or two out and just make sure I've got my bearings on where I'm going, how, how, how you know, beautiful and glorious and important this is. And so a year or two turned into 28 years, and here I am back <laughs> as a seminarian again. Yeah. Well, so where are you right now? In your in your the, the process of formation, sorry. Well, yeah, I've been accepted by the Diocese of Orlando, Florida. Um, there's a story behind that if you want to get into that. But um, since I'm fairly new to them and they to me, they they said, well, why don't we we'll just put you in a parish? You can continue doing your radio show for this year, and we'll take a look at you. You can evaluate us, and we'll see how things go. And you know, if things go well, we'll put you back in the seminary next year. So. I've uh, been there about six weeks, and I can say so far, so good. So mm. we're in that. That's just so beautiful. Jerry, what was the difference between these two calls? You know, God is in all of these details, and there was some reason why he said, well, let's maybe delay this. What do you discern as the difference in these two calls of yours? Well, I would say um, a, a tremendous amount of maturity on my part, um, because when I said earlier, you know, I, I, I needed to kind of get my bearings and realize, you know, what the, the kind of the gravity of what it was that I was aspiring to before. It's not that I didn't have a sense of that, but it was... I, the reason I did my college in three years, Sherry, is because I was so gung-ho. I was hurtling light speed toward this. Once I, once I was accepted, I thought, okay, this is God's will. I'm locked in. If I don't do this, I'll be out of God's will. And why not just fast-track this, you know? So... I bulked up on credits in college, took, took courses over the two summers between those three years, did my undergrad in three years, and then was, you know, did, the, the, like I said, the two years in the seminary and, and the internship and everything else. And I think it was a mercy. It was, it was a grace of God that he just kind of, you know, pulled back on the reins a little bit and said, whoa, boy, you know, do you, do you know what this is really all about? And like I said, I didn't, I wasn't devoid of, a, of an understanding of that, but I didn't have a I don't think a deep enough appreciation for what the priesthood is. So I happily said, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll sit out a year. Let's just kind of think, let things cool down. I'll sit with this for a while, pray with it, let the Lord minister to me. And like I said, it turned into 28 years, which wasn't really the plan, but I can say, <laughs> um, you know, the, the Jerry now is definitely, um, you know, more mature. I've, I've had a lot of you know, healing in some key areas of my life, which I think is important. And this time it, uh, God willing, it's it's gonna it's gonna result in you know crossing the goal line. <laughs> you, well, I love that story, and you mentioned something that I think is really important that you had the opportunity to receive some healing. You know, we we do trust God in most things. I mean, I think a lot of us mm-hmm. when we we think, okay, this is God's will, just like you said, you were hurtling towards the goal line. Okay, I got it. Now I'm going to get this done. And one of the most important things for us is to really pause and to go at the speed of God and to listen to him, to take that time to listen. And thanks be to God that you did. 
But all those intervening years, you know, you, you've had some really incredible experiences there. And they all are sort of, you know, I think on that journey to healing, but also culminating into who you are now. And, you know, we don't have very much time, but it's so wonderful uh, before the break comes here. But it's so wonderful just to think about how God took you on that journey and prepared you now for being a priest. Can you comment on that? Well, absolutely. You know, um, they talk about life experience, and that is one of the one of the things that I think uh, somebody to call like me an older or later vocation. It's it's something that uh, somebody my age and sixty two now some it brings to the uh, brings to the vocation. And like you said, I've, I've been involved in ministry all these years, so I was never really away from you know serving the Lord in one capacity or another. But also just the, the the bumps in the road of life, the challenges, the things that we need to overcome, the uh, the things that the Lord allows us to, to pass through and to experience, you know, and because and, the world is hurting right now, you know, and I've been through a lot of that hurt myself, as you know, Sherry. Yeah. And so I think those kinds of things put us in a position to where once we get into ministry, um, you know, not that, uh, you know, a guy who gets ordained younger can't minister effectively to people who are going through those things, but I think if you've been through them, it does give you a little bit of a, a leg up on helping people who are going through difficult things in their lives. Yeah, that's just so beautiful to think about your ability now to minister in a, in a very, I would say, first-person way on that. Well, we are up against a break, but Jerry Escher will stay with us for a few more minutes and we'll get more into this call, his call to the priesthood. What a wonderful thing. Thanks be to God, and stay with us, because a lot more is to come here on Catholic Connection. Is social media leading to more young women getting cosmetic surgery? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Our daughter and family just welcomed a new baby girl into the world. The boys in our family are now outnumbered for sure. I've witnessed how some of our girls often struggle with self-image and body issues. These issues are now being enhanced by social media. First Peter teaches us that it is not outward beauty that is important, but it should be that of our inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Studies indicate that young women are going under the knife for more cosmetic procedures in direct response to social media. Encourage the women in your life to practice self-compassion. Build them up. Help them find ways to be content in their own skin. True self-esteem is having confidence that I am who God says I am. For more on this, head over to our Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Father Benedict Groeschel. I usually... I'm operating on the gifts of the Holy Spirit when I don't feel well, even when I'm annoyed, when I'm down and out. During my recovery from the automobile accident, immense numbers of people wrote to me and sent me emails, 50,000, and they told me how helpful they thought my talks on EWTN were to them. I'm delighted, but I want you to know I'm nobody's fool. The talks that were helpful, the sentences that were helpful, the phrases that were helpful came from the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the styrofoam packaging came from me. 
I did that. And styrofoam doesn't amount to very much. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Welcome back to Catholic Connection. Sherry Brownrigg with you, and so happy to be here as Teresa enjoys a pilgrimage, the Wine and Shine pilgrimage, Wine and Shrine, rather, pilgrimage in Italy, having a wonderful time. You can follow her on social media. We're talking with Jerry Usher. He is the radio host of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie, a popular EWTN radio show, but now he's on his way to the priesthood. And um, you mentioned while... We were talking with you before, Jerry, that sometimes that's known as a late vocation. And you had this vocation um, in the first the first go around 28 years ago and were able to complete m- uh, much of your seminary studies. And now about 75 percent, I believe you said. And so now you are finishing that out, which is just absolutely beautiful. I mean, the Lord's call is just so beautiful to see, especially with someone like you who really um, I think brings so much to the priesthood and minister to God's people. But I do want to hear how you receive this second call. Well, as you know very well, Sherry, because you had a similar ministry. I had a ministry called Vocation Boom for many years, and what we tried to do is encourage young men to consider the priesthood and support priests and seminarians in ways that we could. We had radio and TV shows on EWTN, so I kind of look back on all of that now. That was sort of a way of keeping myself tethered to the vocation, sort of my umbilical cord, you know, to the idea of a priestly vocation. Um, that was dissolved here a few years ago. And so I was, like I said, I reached the, the age, I'm 62 now, and I thought, I, I really, my, my thinking was, I'm going to do take two for another two or three or four years, retire, and then just I, sit on my deck every afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, pretty uh, funny, God, actually. Yeah, it it was. was, Well, God thought it was funny, too, I guess, because uh, just about a year ago, last November, I attended a men's retreat, and God said some things to me, put some things on my heart, and and the priesthood just came washing over me, like, in an overwhelming way again. I thought, whoa, what is this, you know? Where have you been? Hello? You know? And so I sat with it, I prayed with it, I talked to my spiritual director about it, and I just called two or three different people around the country that I've known for a long time and said, please pray for this. And one of them I happened to, knew, I happened to know from Phoenix, and so I was talking with her. And she said, oh, no, I've moved to the, the villages, Florida, in the Diocese of Orlando. And I said, oh, okay, well, just pray for me. So the first thing she did is mention it to a priest she knows, and the first thing he said was, why doesn't Jerry come and apply here? And so she relayed that back to me. And all I could say was, I don't know why. I have no good reason not to, because I didn't have any specific uh, direction on the radar screen at the time. So I actually made a trip down to Orlando unannounced and tried to meet with the vocation director the whole week I was there, and he had no time for me. And I thought, oh, well, this is definitely a no. (laughs) And it turned out he's he's the pastor of a parish. He's a chaplain at the University of Central Florida. Um, he's the full-time vocation director, and they had ordinations coming up. So that was the reason he didn't have time to meet with me. So, But he did call me before I, I left to go back home. And when I got home, we had a couple of long conversations, and the bishop finally okayed him sending me an application. And I took a couple more trips out to Orlando, went through all the interviews, the psych evaluation, had a physical and everything, and they accepted me. And uh, like I said, because uh, I am sort of an unknown to them, and they're a little bit unknown to me. I am in a parish this year to get to know the diocese a little bit better. But 
that's that's as, that's as complex as the story gets. It's it's really quite simple. You know, I had no apparitions of the Virgin Mary, no lightning bolts or anything like that. So that's how God worked in this case. <laughs> well, He worked beautifully, and I can hear all the people listening right now are all saying, "Oh my gosh, I wish that wish that we had heard that He was looking because we would have wanted Him in our diocese." <laughs> oh goodness, yeah, I know. I'm certainly feeling that. Well, what are you doing right now um, in your work in the parish? Well, obviously, some of the more day-to-day things are serving at masses, you know, weekdays and Sundays. Um, most evenings, we have something going on. We have, every Wednesday, we have what we call Christ in the City. It's two hours of adoration, just simple adoration. People can come in and just spend time with the Lord. Um, once a month, we have a Mass with healing prayer, and I serve the Mass, and then I get, the pastor stations me somewhere in the church to pray with people. Um, they're overdoing. Have, uh, I'm overseeing the creation of their new website, which is what I did at my last parish with the same company that they're they're using. So, um, putting together an Advent mission uh, with Tim Staples, we're bringing him out. Um, and I have been recently certified as an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. So I'll be really taking on a lot of going out to a hospital and nursing homes, and I'll do prison ministry. Uh, what else? Um, teaching, uh, leading adult art, uh, faith formation classes once a week. So it's a, it's a variety of things, and it's busy, but I sleep well at night, and it's invigorating. Yeah. It sounds so wonderful. And, you know, as I, I think about that busy life of the parish, that this is really preparing you for the priesthood. And, Jerry, you know, with all the different life experiences that you've had, you mentioned previously that you would be bringing in the um, the ability to, you know, see some of the issues in people and help people with those issues, the issues that you experienced yourself. But how do you feel that all your life experiences will be brought to bear in in your priesthood? Well, I think they already come out a little bit on take two with Jerry and Debbie. What I mean is, You know, our show is unique in that we want to hear from people. We want to give them a platform. We want to listen to them, let them share their life experience, and then maybe, uh, you know, make a comment or a suggestion or something. And and together, both both parties kind of come away feeling, you know, like like something's been accomplished and and their life is going to be better. And that's what I want to do. I I think I I told the Diocese of Orlando um, when I was applying, I said, if there was one word that I would use to describe myself, it's empathy. And I really believe that I have developed an empathy for people that no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, I want to just embrace them with the love of Christ and give them, you know, help them attain healing that they need, God willing, be able to sacramentally forgive sins, you know, and consecrate the Eucharist, feed them spiritually and all of that. So um, all, of, all of my life experiences, like you said, the highs and the lows, and I think especially the lows, can come into play in a vocation like this. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And right now, of course, you are one of the hosts of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie, Debbie Giorgiani, the other host. What's happening with the show in the meantime? Well, it's kind of nice, the vocation director and the bishop together in Orlando. um, uh, The vocation director put it very bluntly, he says, we're taking a risk on you, we don't know you, we're taking a risk, you're taking a risk on us, you don't know us. So to mitigate that risk for you, why don't you continue to do your show uh, during this year that I'm in the parish, they call it a pastoral year. So I am doing the show now 
through whenever they reassign me somewhere like the seminary next year or a summer assignment. So I'd say for the next several months at least I'll be I'll be still on the show. Um, if if I do advance to uh, seminary studies again, obviously I can't can't take the hosting of the show with me. Um, Debbie expresses you know desires and dreams that maybe in a couple of years if I'm a priest I can pop back onto the show once in a while and I'd be happy to do that. But mm. uh, more or less, and you'll you'll understand this. I mean, I have to be willing to just let go of everything right now, and that means yeah. you know, that includes the show. And uh, you know, God, I have so many people telling me your media ministry is going to be even more impactful as a priest. And I'm like, okay, if that's what God wants, you know, <laughs> um, then that's what I'll, I'll happily do. So time yeah. will tell. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, Jerry, please know that all of us are going to be praying for you all the time. And Thank what you. a beautiful journey. Thank you for sharing it with us. You're welcome. Thanks, Sherry. God bless. That's Jerry Usher, the host of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie, EWTN Show, now on the way to the priesthood. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Father Stu. I can't wait. Stay tuned. Catholic Connection continues right after this. Those who deny the full humanity of the preborn will be toying with the sentiments of pro-life people. They will say, you can't really believe in the humanity of the unborn unless you support this or that piece of legislation. The pro-life position is quite different. We might well believe that we need to improve social conditions, but first of all, we believe that the preborn are a good to be protected, even if born into poverty, even if born into unstable, violent homes. We want to eliminate those terrible conditions, but it is the height of arrogance to tell human beings like unborn children who cannot communicate or reason or stand up for themselves that they are better off dead because we know from our own experience that we would choose life and survival over death no matter how poor our social environment. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. And now, the EWTN Family Prayer with Father Joseph. Family, a prayer that we pray together is a powerful prayer. So please pray together with me our EWTN Family Prayer. Today we pray for the caregivers of the sick. O Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we adore you. You have first loved us, and through your Son you have taught us the excellence of self-giving love. Give to those who are caregivers of a sick parent or child, brother or sister, the assistance of your holy angels. Lessen their burdens and give them great joy in practicing a work of mercy. And since charity is never forgotten by you, reveal to them their heavenly reward. Amen. Catholic Connection, Sherry Brown, Riga in for Teresa Tamio, who is on pilgrimage in Italy, the Wine and Shrine pilgrimage for the Women in the New Evangelization. Always a wonderful, wonderful event. Well, I'm so excited right now to welcome to the program Father Bart Tollison, who is author of That Was Father Stew, a memoir of my priestly brother and friend, talking about, of course, the famous Father Stew. And Father Tollison, welcome to Catholic Connection. 
Good morning, Sherry. Good to be with you today. It's really great to have you on, and I'm looking at your bio here. You entered the church in 1994, and um, that's where you had a, a Ph.D. in philosophy and communication at Regent University, and you were ordained to the priesthood in 2007. Now you're in the Diocese of Helena, Montana, and but you've got a lot of history with Father Stu, and of course, so many of us have seen the movie, and I really loved it. And honestly, just between the two of us, my husband has left the church, well, the two of us and all everybody listening, but my husband has left the church, and I got him to watch this too, and he said, wow, that was really great. And I think it really touched him just to see Father Stu's life and to see, you know, all the things that, that happened and how he could become someone who could be so used by God. So I guess my first question for you right now is, why did you want to write this book? So I actually wrote the book because I thought there wasn't going to be a movie. Uh, Mark oh. Wahlberg, <laughs> his production company, had the option, and it was running out. And if they hadn't made it uh, in six years, then it wasn't going to happen. And so in January 2020, I asked Bill Long, I said, do you think there's going to be a movie? Because they had had several different people attached to it. And he said, I really don't think there's going to be. And I said, what would you think if I wrote some things down about Stu? Because I don't want people to forget this amazing story. And I'm starting to forget. And he said, I think that's a good idea. So I did actually my first draft before they even announced the movie. And uh, then in 2021, in March, uh, they announced that the movie was going to be made right under the wire of the option running out and at that point a lot of people said well get go back and 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 write a, another version of the book and it'll be important so uh, finally we finished it this year and got it out well i think it's the perfect time because so many of us you know learning about father stew now through the movie we want to know more so i really hope that uh, that this um, this book just sells off the shelves, and it's offered by Ignatius Press. You can find it, Ignatius.com, and then just search for That Was Father Stew. Now, on the website, it says that your relationship began and almost ended. Your relationship with Father Stew ended with a practical joke. You were in the seminary together, so I'm guessing it probably happened there, but tell us that whole story. Well, I was in one seminary, and I was getting ready to become a seminarian for the Diocese of Helena, Stu was in another seminary, but we were in the same uh, the same level. And uh, I had uh, asked a, a friend who was at Mount Angel, I need to meet a seminarian from the Diocese of Helen. He said, well, uh, here's Stu Long's email. So Stu and I started emailing back and forth, and I said, oh, this is a pretty good guy. He's pretty solid. His head's on straight. He's got a sense of humor. And so then when I went to Helena to uh, arrange and begin to talk about transferring as a seminarian, from Texas where I was, uh, Stu said, yeah, well, you're going to meet Monsignor O'Neill, who was the vicar general at the time. Bishop Thomas was out of town. And he said, Had, have Monsignor take you to a place called Haps. And I thought, I didn't really know Helena that much. And I said, Haps, that must be like a nice place to go have lunch or something. And so Monsignor <laughs> offered to take me to lunch. And he, I, he said, where do you want to go? And I said, let's go to Haps. And he looked at me like, are you insane? Are you crazy? Well, Haps is is just this roughneck, blue-collar bar that Stu had worked at as a bouncer, and they serve, like, pretzels and peanuts, and there's a lot of alcohol, and uh, <laughs> it's like Monsignor just thought I was a, a problem because I wanted to go to Haps, and then he realized that Stu had set me up, so... 
<laughs> what did you think about uh, about Stu? He, he was Stu at the time, not yet a father Stu. But what did you think about him after after that happened? Well, I know uh, you know I, I, I mean we were, you know I, I emailed him back and then we we met not too long thereafter face to face and he was just laughing when I told him about that. He said he just thought that was just hilarious and so he was definitely a practical joker. He had a great sense of humor. Uh, we laughed at a lot of the same things and uh, like practical jokes. So, you know, for me, it was just a good friend starting off, someone that uh, had been through a lot of things in his life uh, and uh, had a lot of good stories and had a good sense about God's call in his life. Yeah. Well, share some of your memories. That was a great memory there. But if you could share some of your memories of of being his friend, of what was that like? Well, he was dependable. I mean, the thing I liked about Stu is if you ever needed to talk to him, you know, you reach out and call him, and he, he'd arrange to get together or whatever. And, and the same way for, for me, you know, if he had things he wanted to talk about, he'd reach out to me and, and we'd, we'd chat. So he was just very dependable. And uh, he was someone that I think kind of understood who I was, and I, to a certain degree, understood who he was. And then he was just a great man of faith. And just to see how that faith grew as he got sicker and sicker uh, a few years later uh, was really phenomenal and amazing. We all know him from the movie and Mark Wahlberg's portrayal of that. What do you think about the movie and um, how Mark actually portrayed him? Is it true to life? Well, in a certain way, it's true to life. I mean, what you have is the, the director-writer, uh, uh, Rosalind Ross, she, I know, had just all kinds of notes from all kinds of different people, and she's trying to put it into a two-hour script that's based on a true story. And so what I think she did a marvelous job of is getting the, the beats of his life correct, and, and they weren't necessarily in chronological order, but... And kind of synthesizing, you know, he had a, Sue had a lot of friends, and so synthesizing his friends kind of into two characters that he's in the seminary with. And uh, so I really liked the movie. I think Mark did a good job of portraying Stu. Uh, you know, Stu was uh, very tenacious and very stubborn, and Mark got all those parts right. Uh, <laughs> Stu uh, had so, you know, he, he, he believed in himself. He was full of himself earlier in his life, and Mark did a good job of playing that. And then as God began to work with him, not only calling him to the priesthood, but also then with the disease uh, and how one lives with that and deals with that. I think uh, Mark did that very well. I think it was very, it was very great, a graceful performance for Mark. And uh, unfortunately, you know, most mainstay people in Hollywood don't like God movies, so oh, yeah. it kind of eschewed it a little bit. But uh, it's very well put together. Uh, but, it, but there's a lot of things in there that aren't literally accurate. And that's one thing the book can help with is kind of getting the details straight. And then also really delving into his priesthood. That's, that's one thing I thought we really, because the, some of the best stories are in his priesthood. Yeah, the movie really kind of shows him before and in the seminary. And then, of course, you know, with his ordination and then he's in a, a home and it ends with the, the big line of people who are going to, seek to talk to him and seek his counsel and you don't really get to see a lot of that priesthood so that's in the book i love that the book is 
Well, absolutely wonderful book. It's out now. That was Father Stu, a memoir of my priestly brother and friend by Father Bart Tolleson. And it's available at Ignatius Press, Ignatius.com. And Father, we've got to take a short break, but I'll, we'll come back and a lot more questions I have for you about this wonderful book and Father Stu. That's still to come on Catholic Connection. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Finding health care for yourself and your family can be isolating and confusing. That's why the Catholic Health Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering Christ-centered health sharing for individuals and families, along with new wellness services to help heal and restore your whole person, spirit, mind, and body. Visit cmfcuro.com to find out more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Welcome back to Catholic Connection. Sherry Kennedy Brownrigg in for Teresa Tamio, who is on pilgrimage. Guess where? In Italy, of course. <laughs> her second home. Maybe her first home now in the U.S. is the second. Who knows? You can follow her her trails on her social media, Teresa Tamio. And we are talking right now with Father Bart Tolleson. He is a priest in the Diocese of Helena, Montana. He has written a fantastic book, That Was Father Stu, a memoir of my priestly brother and friend. It's available from Ignatius Press, Ignatius.com, if you want to order it, which I will as soon as our interview is done. It sounds like such a wonderful book. And Father Tolleson, thanks so much for being with us. And for those of us who have seen the movie, a lot of it was focused on Father Stu's early life before he actually uh, became a seminarian and then became a priest. And the transition is pretty quick from um, from that life into a life starting to serve God, where he realized, you know, that that God was somebody worthy to serve, and that he was being called to the priesthood. And that uh, um, that progression of the degenerative disease that he suffered from as well. Some of those things, there's there's not a lot of of content around them. What was it like for you and the other seminarians and your relationship with Father Stu when you learned about this and saw him suffering? 
the first time I ever saw what would be the symptom, he had had uh, a hip replacement at Christmas time of his uh, third year in theology. So he wasn't, uh, that's one reason why I didn't meet him until a little bit later on, because he wasn't even back in the diocese. And we had spent um, about three days on an Indian reservation. He had a summer assignment there, uh, and he was, you know, we were hanging out and to know each other. And we were walking all over town uh, for those three days, unless we, you know, was too far away to walk. He, he walked everywhere. He walked a little slowly, but he had said he had had a hip replaced. And the last night I was with him, he came out of the bathroom, and he was really, really limping. And, and uh, he said, I need to sit down for a moment. He goes, now my other hip is hurting. Maybe I need it replaced. Something's not right. And then he began to share with me, and he hasn't really, hadn't really told him at that point. He was having trouble sometimes just putting his uh, buttoning his shirt. And he said it was like the energy was being drained out of him. Oh. And so at that point, uh, he went to go get a checkup, and they uh, diagnosed him with uh, polymyositis, which was not the right diagnosis because it's a treatable form of myositis. And, um, and then eventually he, he went down to Los Angeles, got a second opinion, and it was confirmed it was uh, inclusion body myositis, which is, you know, there, you, you, there's no cure. It's autoimmune, and you just slowly, uh, you know, kind of go down the way, mm. uh, you know, we kind of saw him. So he, he had about uh, almost six years of, of priesthood, and uh, he spent the last four in a care facility, Big Sky, which was depicted in the film. And certainly, I said the two things that the movie got wrong about Big Sky was, one is, there was no sign-in to see Stu. It was just chaos. You know, <laughs> you just get at the door, and people are trying to, to get through, and then there are residents trying to get to their rooms to this line. And there was a line like that. And, uh, you know, the other thing, the line was inside, not outside, because, you, you know, it lined up past residents' door. And I, don't th- I think it drove them crazy, because... People just came to see Stu, and they just have to form a line kind of down the hall. Gosh, that is incredible. But he had about six years of priesthood. That's amazing. Um, And your book talks more about his priesthood than the movie does. What are some things that you'd like to share about Father Stu's actual priesthood? Well, before he was ordained, he went on a trip to Lourdes and uh, thought he was going to receive a physical miracle. I mean, he was convinced he was going to be healed in Lord so he could be a priest because he had this mystical encounter where he believed he was called to be a priest. And uh, in Lords, he got a miracle, but it was an interior miracle, a miracle of peace. And he also knew that uh, he was going to be called to live this disease in his body, that God wasn't going to physically heal him, but he was going to work through him and in the disease. It was like the cross of Christ. So... Once Stu accepted that, he was determined to do everything he could whenever and however he could. And uh, so his determination was really profound, and he did so much in those you know, quick six years of priesthood and, and touched so many lives, uh, and God really worked through him. And, and each year it would get, as he grew weaker, his ministry became more and more vital and more and more prominent. So it was really amazing. Can you explain that just a little bit more? I mean, what kind of things would he do that were so incredible? Well, the first was celebrating Mass from the wheelchair, and, you know, we don't normally see that. And Stu, also, he he had limited use of his arms and fingers, so 
he was very creative initially at, at celebrating mass and he would use his body he had more movement in his torso and so he would use his body as a fulcrum just to elevate uh, the Lord when when he consecrated the elements. He would he would tilt himself to the left so that he couldn't raise the chalice, but if he tilted himself to the left, his arm and body would bring the chalice up. Mm-hmm. So there were a few times he got, got almost to the floor. I didn't know if I'd have to help him get back up. And he was just determined to raise Christ as high as he could, though he didn't have full function of his arms. And so yeah. that's just a profound moment. His confessions, he, he, yeah. he was... Well, Father Tolleson, we are just out of time. I want to hear more, but this convinces us that we really need to get this book. The book, again, is That Was Father Stu, a memoir of my priestly brother and friend written by Father Bart Tolleson, available from Ignatius Press. Thanks be to God. God bless you. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E Maria Radio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.